1: Welcome to Wood Talk For woodworkers by woodworkers Now here are three guys who put the fine In fine woodworking Mark, Matt, and Shannon Alright, welcome to Wood Talk It's uh, Wood Talk number 264 for August 3rd, 2015 On today's show we're talking about Milling rough stock Wait, that's not what it's supposed to be milling rough satka yeah, what it's, happened there? Someone yeah. jacked up the notes, yo. Yeah, mine was in
2: stuff. first, which is the next thing that you're going to read, so <laughs> I thought you were just saying that you were going to be milling rough scotch, and I'm yeah. like,
1: whoa, we're doing a distillery show? Sounds delicious. Um, let's just say milling rough stock. We'll we'll get into the details of that later. Attaching hardwood strips to cover the plywood edges, and designing furniture for heavy loads. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, SawStop. After more than a decade, SawStop's combination of safety and precision has made them the number one cabinet saw in North America. Use the interactive tools at sawstop.com to build and price your ideal sawstop and then find a dealer online or near you. Protect yourself today with Sawstop. Hmm. Yeah, and a special thanks. I had one in my email. Darn it. I'm so disorganized today. I didn't realize. I thought I had gone through all this stuff. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got it. Paul Straka? Stryka, Straka, thank you so much, Paul. Paul signed up for a recurring donation and you could do that too at woodtalkshow.com. Look in the right-hand column and you'll find some of those links that help us keep the lights on. Just keep this uh, show a-running while you're there. You know what? You should check out woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway and that's where you could sign up to win a cool t-shirt or whatever else we happen to have in the giveaway. I've got some mortising chisels. Maybe I'll put those in the giveaway.
2: Ooh, I know we, we still have like a bunch of DVDs, Mark. We have to sit down and figure out mm, what we have between dude, us and what could that'd be, be easily passed to the audience for some amazing giveaway.
1: Yeah, that'd be perfect for Wood Talk. Let's, let's do that. Let's talk about okay. that. Uh, and a quick announcement. We alluded to it last week, but here's a more official announcement about this. We are taking a little bit of a summer break uh, and a summer break, I guess you could say. Some, some kids are already going back to school, uh, which is kind of crazy <laughs> in August. Yeah. Um, what do you have for lunch? Yeah, Um, so anyway, uh, August 17th through September 7th we will be taking a vacation and during that time we'll be back on the 14th so set your calendars but uh, we're not going to just leave you uh, high and dry. We're going to have some content, uh, at least one show if not two shows a week. They just won't be of the same format that you're used to so consider it a little bit of a change of pace and who knows, maybe if you like some of the stuff we're doing here to fill the gap maybe we could bring those in as a regular feature during like a regular show. Uh, but we've got a couple ideas for how to fill up the time. It will be absolutely woodworking related uh, on topic. It just won't be in the format you're typically used to.
0: So we're finally going to get to hear Matt's freestyle rap.
1: That's right. Woodworking
0: yep. raps. <clears throat> we've I mean, alluded to his rapper name multiple times over the history of the show. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be all about the woods that are in my lumber rack.
1: Word. Totally. So,
0: Shannon,
1: so right, so, you're um, going to
2: have
0: to help me identify a few of them. Okay. Can I do the beatbox in the
1: background? <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right. So, let's get into what's on the bench. For me, I got a new weave. Ooh, well, it looks good on you. Is Now, is that Thank Indian you. hair or is that something more generic? Probably something uh, something man-made because it was very cheap. Um, yeah, so I actually got a successful panel constructed, uh, the woven panel that I've been playing with, and it was a very stressful day. I got everything milled up, and I sat down and tried to figure out. You basically got you know, two legs on the sides, a top rail, a bottom rail, and you have all these woven things that have to go in between these vertical slats. So trying to get everything to seat properly to go into the grooves on the sides, and as you can imagine, these woven pieces as they go in and out, by the time they come out of the last vertical piece they're either slanted downward or slanted upward and the goal is to have them go into a groove in the leg so Hmm, how do you tell it to do what it needs to do which piece goes on first i'm like in my head trying to figure out all these different ways that i could put this thing together um and really stressed out about it for a while but finally got it to the point where it, it it all came together and i think i could apply the methodology for the rest of the build so this hamper with the the woven panels is actually going to be a thing I hope. So I'm very close.
0: Well, you know, I was, we were pulling clothes and stuff out to do laundry this weekend. And I thought, you know, we really need a decent hamper. And I thought, you know, Mark's building a hamper. Mm -hmm. Maybe this will be the time that I actually like build something that he did on his show. Like, you know. I've I've built, well that's not true, I built a couple things but it's always been inspired by Mark Spagnuolo's and I was thinking maybe I'll do this because it sounded like a cool design and I saw the picture you posted today of it and I thought no, maybe (laughs) I'll just (laughs) build a frame and like wrap some burlap around (laughs) it or
1: something and just move on. Dude, this was quickly becoming the advent calendar all over again.
0: (laughs) Oh gosh.
1: I mean if if folks don't know, the advent calendar was one that, uh, a project that I did that was supposed to be just this cute, simple little Christmas decoration thing and just turned into an absolute nightmare with these little hinges and trying to figure out how to get these little one by one doors to all hinge properly. It was way more work than the thing deserved to receive and that's the path I was headed on this one until I came up with a good simple way or at least a systematic way to get these uh, woven panels assembled. So is I feel, all, feel better this about it.
0: Is all a cold bend? You're not doing any steaming? No. Or any, I mean yeah, there's no there's, lamination
1: certainly. So. Nope there's no assistance at all. It's, it's basically I milled it down to eighth inch strips tried it and it worked. But I figured, you know what? It's not going to hurt anything to go a little bit thinner and it just might make it a little easier to get around and, and maneuver these things. So I went down, maybe peeled another 16th off and it worked. It, it's okay. Cool. So yeah, I, I thought about that too. I'm like, well, if worse comes to worse, there's there's certainly steam bending but what I'm thinking I might have better luck doing. Have you ever seen, um, I've only seen it in guitar making um, videos and things like that where they have a, a hot pipe that yeah. you you bend the piece over and just kind of induce a Hot little bit. bending I think is yep. what it's called. Hey, there yeah. you go.
2: Yeah, I watched uh, Jeff Miller show us how to do it for a uh, guitar body. In fact, that's where I've seen it most prevalently is, yep. is with guitar makers.
1: Yep, same with me. So I was thinking worse comes to worse I can kind of mark the center points of where I need my bends and just kind of get it started. doesn't have to be perfect but get it close. Uh, but I don't even need to do that. It's it's just fine and it feels stable. I didn't hear any cracks or anything telling me that look, there's a little bit too much stress. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to get all three i I've got two sides and the one front and I'm hoping it'll all go together so either tonight or tomorrow I will be celebrating or crying.
2: Um, nice. Well, you know, the the advent calendar is always my, you ever have those like personal scales like on a, one, a scale of one to three, this is like the worst possibility. You always have an example. <laughs> I use the advent calendar as my example of, couldn't be worse than the advent calendar. <laughs> so I think that's the my is, absolute, I think I'll put this in the middle range. I'll be like, well, you know, it's yeah. not a hamper.
1: Well, it's it's funny because it's like when when the difficulty level is disproportionate to like the actual coolness of what you're making, that's when things become a problem. When it's so difficult and all you're getting out of it is a hamper or right. all you're getting out of it is an advent calendar, you can only justify yeah, but, going so but difficult. At least, you know, the
0: hamper it looks really cool. Let's be real, that image I saw was really cool. The advent calendar <laughs> Didn't you make it because like Nicole saw it in like a Michael's or
1: something? I thought, oh,
0: I can make that better. Yeah,
1: like the next day I went to Home Depot <laughs> and I'm like, oh, 12 bucks. Oh, well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. So I think for that reason alone, to use, to use Matt's analogy, the advent calendar will always be at one extreme. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 totally, for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, Matt, so tell me, X-Carve going good? Oh, it's been going fantastic. <laughs> did Not, you make a weaved panel with it? A yeah, I did actually. That's what uh, I,
2: I saw the picture before Mark even posted it. Don't ask me how I got a copy of it. And, and I said, <laughs> I'm going to do this. <laughs> nice. But no, uh, in, in all serious, now I should say ahead of time that, of course, people should know by now they, uh, uh, the folks at Inventables had uh, sent me an X carve, like a lot of other people, uh, to try out and see how it, I like it, do some projects with it. And I swear, I have been cursed since the day I said, yeah, let's do that. That sounds like fun. <laughs> and so it took me much longer to actually assemble it. But I totally am going to say that that's because I have zero electronics ability. So the whole idea of soldering all of these parts, and it's literally all these parts, uh, really had me stumped. But to the credit of the folks at Inventables, they they really do have an extremely uh, good and, and for the instructions online are fantastic. I mean, I was watching it and thinking, I want mine to look exactly like that. So the instructions, everything to assemble it is fantastic. But for me, it's just a, one issue after another. Maybe it's partly my fault. Maybe it's it's something with the way the setup of the machine itself. I have heard from others as I kind of air my grievances out there that, yeah, they're also running into these issues. So this is what happened to me this weekend. Uh, I was having a lot of fun with it. I got it all set up. I was using it. I came up with a great plan. What I had done, if anybody has seen the pictures on Facebook, uh, what I ended up doing was kind of, oh, it's on Google Plus too, um, drawing out a outline of the state of Michigan because I was going to make a Michigan-inspired cheese board. Like We would put cheese on it from Michigan-made cheeses, which are amazing, um, and we were going to do something like that. So as I was in the process of cutting it, and by me, I mean the machine was cutting it, somewhere around, it was almost halfway through the final depth, uh, the Y, uh, with the belt, the the belt that controls the Y motion of the carriage, let loose a little bit, so that meant that the carriage was no longer tracking the way it normally would. As a result, the uh, spindle started to make a cut at a depth that it was not prepared for. No way in the world was it prepared for the depth that it was at, and it burned out the motor. Oh, no. So, yeah. So, the the funny thing about this, if there is a funny thing about it, was um, because the machine was doing all the work, I was in the garage working on a bike where the chain fell off. So, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I could woodwork and get something else done as easily. And so, literally, as I got the chain back onto the cog and the wheel was spinning around, I hit the brake brake on the bike, and that's about the same time that the motor shut off. And I'm like, why – did it suddenly get really quiet? Oh man! And that's when I turned around and saw it. So for me, this is kind of like the breaking point. I have spent a lot of time with this, and for those who are really interested in in using it, and you can get you can get some really great results with it. The two or three things that I have played around with um, have turned out really really decent, but you really have to constantly come in. From my own experience, and a few other people that have described the same exact thing, you have to tweak it. With almost every single use. In fact, one person was describing how working on... It sounded like something similar to what I was doing, at least in lengthwise, of how long it would take to perform the action by the CNC. It's almost like there's a certain time limit when the machine goes, you know what? I think it's time to jinx something. And then it seems to happen. So Hmm. that was my issue. It's still... For the price, for what you have to do to get it together. I mean they literally send it in in parts. It's it's a really good deal but unfortunately for myself, I just don't have the time to keep – I don't want to say babying it but tweaking it. Constantly, it's just, Mm. it's literally one of those machines that, like, you have to anticipate, at least from my own experience, that you have to anticipate something's going to go wrong. So, you go through and super tweak everything just before it goes, and then really keep an eye on it to see if you notice anything kind of veering off course. Literally, I Mm.
1: saw, uh, you know, Brian from Garage Woodworks. Yes, he yeah. posted something on Facebook that he also had a blunder on there and he was kind of pissed about it because he had spent all day working on the thing uh, mm-hmm. just to have it go off course and I'm thinking, man, I'm so glad I turned him down. <laughs> like, he <they> sent <laughs> me one? And I'm like, I, I don't need another hobby right now. Like, I know I know going down this rabbit hole of putting this thing together, doing the assembly, learning how to use it, getting all the software in place, it's just another hobby and I don't have time for that, unfortunately, but it's, well, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Oh no! I was gonna say the, the the real issue, and it sounds like what Brian ran into also, are are the belts for the carriage for mm-hmm. the, for the way that it moves. They are they're literally just I w- I want to call them rubber bands, but they don't have that much stretch in them. But the way that you act you attach them to the frame requires you to one tighten them and then two kind of get it to like stay in place. But I just I could not get them to tighten to the point where they would actually stay in place. I I don't know if that makes any sense. It's just they wouldn't grip down enough the hardware that they have to lock it in position. It's like if you were wearing your your belt, let's say – let's do this. You have a belt on your pants. And you put it into the, the belt, into the right uh, hole. But then about five minutes later, you're walking along and then suddenly the belt just goes, well, I'm going to loosen up a little bit. And then your pants drop around your knees. That's what it felt <laughs> like. And that's the the last two times that I've had issues. It's because that belt works itself loose. So it's like, again, it's one of those Maybe I don't know. Maybe I could glue the belt in place so it never ever moves. But it's really stretchy,
0: and that's the that's the issue I'm having. Other than that, that's one again, of those things that, you know, if that is truly something you're supposed to do, you would think you would say that. You know, if, they, right. if they've got these great instructions online and everything, you would think that would be part of it. Right. <laughs> this is a common thing, so you know you don't send out a. a um, piece of machinery if it's common for that belt to stretch or whatever I don't know right that's it's going weird. to be
1: interesting with something like this because of its—it's um, it's so cost-effective. It does seem right. like one of those things that the community will tolerate a little bit of that extra DIY and like, oh, I added this and this made it this much better, and people kind of just adding on to it to turn it into something a little bit more reliable. But because right. of the price point. sourced
0: quality control,
1: totally, yeah. <laughs> and, and but but it's tolerated because it's you know it's so much cheaper than any other type of CNC um, uh, tool that you might be able to purchase.
2: Right. Yeah. It's again, it's really and there's a lot of stuff coming out of the forums that people if you do have issues, if you have purchased one, if if you want to purchase one, check out the forums. They've got some great stuff in there for myself at this point. I probably would head back into the forums to take a look at this, but I have other things I really want to do and I'm just I don't want to have a tool that I am constantly having to go back in and tweak this much and sitting there waiting for something to potentially happen. Mm -hmm. But if you are are of the mindset and the the type that can find the easy fix around this, fantastic. Maybe you can come over and tweak mine for me (laughs) and do all that stuff for me (laughs) so that I don't run into it again. But at this point, you probably won't be seeing much of it on my show at all. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's a neat thing and um, yeah, you can have fun with it but I don't think I'm going to be having much more fun with it. That's a shame. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it, was, it was fun while it lasted hmm. which is a, like a lot of relationships I had in college.
0: <laughs> I, st- I still have these visions of Matt with a soldering gun you know, and he's it's like, we'll just say it's a 30 page manual to put it together. Matt's on page three and he's wondering how come he ran out of solder already. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, you cool. mean you're not supposed to fill in the space in between with all that pretty silver stuff? Let me tell you something. There's a couple of wires
2: that are on the machine that I'm sure if anybody with even a little bit more soldering experience than I have are probably looking at it going, holy, what did you do to this? Why Why did you do that? I'm like,
0: I don't know. It made sense at the time. The entire circuit board is conductive. It's, it's, it's buried under a puddle of solder. Yeah, you did see it then. <laughs> nice.
2: So anyway, so that that's me. If anybody else has any questions about it, you're more than – I am more than willing to answer your questions. Uh, go, you can email me at Matt's at gmail.com. Um, I'll be happy to share my experience. Unfortunately, I know one one or two other people have already asked me about it, and I kind of tried to lay out as much as I could of what my experience had been up to that point. Again, if you have the time to put into it, it's it's a really it's a really neat tool. It's really cool. It's a lot of versatility. Uh, but again, it's just not for the basement workshop anymore.
1: And it feels so, early. It feels like it, this will improve over time.
2: I think so, too. I mean, I've already seen seen more stuff that people are suggesting, but again, they are things that you really have to put the time into it and have, you know, just maybe that, I don't know, that I want to say like an engineering background or electronics background to make some. I've actually seen people talking about converting it to like a laser cutter or some people are talking about doing pyrography with it. And Mm -hmm. it's just like one of those things like, wow, well, I'll look for that video. That'll be cool. (laughs) (laughs) But you won't be seeing it on my channel anytime soon. So... (laughs) Nice. But
0: anyways, though, so, so Shannon, I see you have a, a one-day project. Yeah. A one-day project? Yeah, it is possible to start and finish a project using nothing but hand tools. I don't in believe one, it! In one day. I, I can't believe yeah. it. Yeah. And actually, see it product. wasn't even a full day. It was about four hours. So Whoa. it was good. It was a lot of fun. Um, my wife and I joined a cooperative... I don't know what the official name is, but it's a cooperative farm group. It's a little um, farm stand near us. And last fall, we... Uh, signed up for it and we paid our money and what it basically means is once a week throughout the summer, for something like 18 weeks, we go and we get um, free fruits and vegetables. And there's a little, it's different every week. They have like this list and you get to pick your eight items from the list. And it's been very cool, you know, supporting a local farm and everything. But What we end up with every week is just a whole bunch of paper bags because they put the plums in one bag and they put the green peppers in another bag. And, you know, we've got all these bags and it's a farm stand. They don't have like all these bags like you do at the grocery store or whatever. So we end up like arms full of stuff. And my wife said, wouldn't it be cool if there was some sort of like if you could build me like a box or something that we could put all this in? And I said, yeah, I could probably do that. And we started throwing ideas around and she decided, well, wouldn't it be cool if it was like a vintage peach crate looking thing? So then I thought, all right, well, I can probably go and buy a peach crate on eBay. (laughs) So I go to eBay and I'm looking and I'm seeing all these, there's vintage peach crates for sale. And the long story short, there were design flaws. There were issues that wouldn't work. Obviously peaches are much bigger, but if you buy blueberries, they could still fall out the side or whatever. So it was determined, we definitely, I'm going to need to build something custom, but we found vintage labels from peach crates. So we found one from Colorado peaches and one California peaches and, um, you know, spent a couple bucks on eBay and got these actual vintage labels. So I went out to the shed, grabbed myself a piece of Douglas fir and turned it into a peach crate and did like a little fancy, um, what's the stuff called? Um, decoupage glue, uh, to, to like paint the, the labels onto the side. So there's kind of this cool glossy look to it and used a rope handle and yeah, about four hours, I was done, and it actually looks really good. It was basically a cut nail project that, um, you know, I, I didn't have to worry about this edge needs to be perfectly jointed. I mean, I typically overbuilt it. You know, I could have just nailed the bottoms on, but instead I used a tongue and groove and <laughs> put it in place. But it, it looks really cool, and the puppy fits in it too, which is
1: just <laughs> so will So we
0: will be like the ultimate – you know snobby yuppies when we go to our farm you know farm store farmer's market or whatever because we have a custom made vintage retro peach crate <laughs> to put our produce in nice you know it came up in my
2: facebook feed uh what this morning i think it's when i finally saw it and samantha was like rolling over she goes hey what's up? i got nothing and I <laughs> <it> real quick.
1: <laughs> no it looks good i saw it in my feed too You know, eventually
0: I I filmed it and everything, which is the other cool part. I actually filmed the whole thing and got it done in four hours, which just blows my mind. Sweet. Um, (laughs) But I'm sure there'll be some flack eventually, because it just screams to be like a pallet wood project. And I sell lumber. I have an ethical thing about using pallet wood. <laughs> you know, I could lose my job if I use pallet wood. Mm. So I went and grabbed, I, I just figured softwood. So I grabbed a piece of softwood out of my shed, and it just so happens to be a 10-inch wide piece of vertical grain, tight-growth Douglas fir that was left over from when I built my... My joinery bench. So this is like the ultimate Gucci wood to make this out of. I'm sure someone's going to give me a hard time for that, but yeah, at least I didn't use mahogany. You know, Who
1: now they march? give you a hard time no matter what you do.
0: So that's true. That's true. And then the other thing I'll say is, um, some of you may remember about a year ago I released a series of videos on building a picnic style dining table that I had to abandon before I finished it. Um, well, guess what? I'm leaving for Maine on uh, Saturday. So I'm finally going to put the finish on this thing, and I've got to figure out how to distress it so that it doesn't look like I actually distressed it. So it's going to be an interesting experiment. But I was kind of prepping for that and making walnut pegs and everything for the jaw bores, and I'm all set. Got my pegs, got my finish. I'm ready to go finish this thing, get it done. Cool.
2: And you should also be ready to uh, receive a lot of uh, jokes about you heading to your main home, your main vacation (laughs) home. Mm. Home. Absolutely. Not
1: Not the primary one. No, oh, wait, that right. is the primary one. That is the primary the main, one. Yeah, not your second Not the vacation home, one. the main yeah. home. There you go. All right, let's move into what's new. Got a couple things to share with you. The first one here is from Jeff, and I got to be honest, I didn't even realize this when I was doing the show notes, that it was this video. This is the not uh, safe for work, not safe for family <laughs> video. Right. right. Maybe
2: not even safe for if you have a very sensitive stomach. Yeah,
1: kind of not safe. You know, I kind of don't even want to – Put the link there. <laughs> yeah, now we just gonna go ahead and pretend like it never happened. Uh, you know what? We'll put the link. We will not embed this video. So, Shannon, when you do the show notes, if you could, I was I was already gonna ask that question off the air. Yeah. Should I embed this? Do not do not embed it, and make a, sure there's a warning there. This is a very adult video. It's a very sick sense of humor. But the reason it's here, you're probably wondering, is because it's a saw stop um, uh, satire ad. They don't really mention SawStop specifically, but it's it's clearly just making a joke about it, and it's totally inappropriate and totally dirty and uh, definitely you do not want your kids to see this. You probably don't want your wife to see it or your significant other at all, for that matter. (laughs) I don't think it's
2: equally offensive to everybody. (laughs) It's it's so it's so gross. I almost feel like I don't even want knitters to see it. Yeah, Yeah, keep
1: the knitters away. So, but we'll put it there because I was a dummy and didn't remove it from the show notes, and I would feel bad not mentioning it. Sweet. Well, let's go ahead
2: and mention something that we will make sure that we have links in there for and we don't have a problem suggesting people go check it out. Uh, so it seems like a few episodes ago, we had we were told about a really great resource online for all sorts of books and mm-hmm. other information about woodworking. Well, we have Harvey here telling us about another one. He said, did you guys know about this site? And we'll make sure to have the links in there. It's over at, uh, that's a long URL. I'm not going to read it. Anyways, they are public domain books covering vast areas of interest, such as understanding wood, furniture and design, carpentry, turning, carving, finishing, upholstery, and leatherwork, and so on and so on. Some of the authors that are included here include William Nelson, H.H. H. Windsor, John Wheel, Joseph Moxon, Frank A. Stanley. And even though these books are, quote unquote, according to Harvey, older, I think we can still learn from the master of yesterday.
1: No doubt about it.
2: Shannon, are you familiar with these books? Is this one of them that you purchased so the rest of us can get it for free? <laughs> so the rest
0: of you can get it for free. Yeah, I'm just wondering if that H.H. Uh, that H. H. Windsor, is he of, of the, the chair Windsors? Mm. And Did he is he the Frank it? A. Stanley of Stanley door openers? Right.
1: Hmm. Oh, you know what I wanted to put in here? Uh, oh. There was a power tool thing Uh, I got to find the link I'll put it in the show notes later but um, sort of a history of power tools video that somebody shared with me that I thought was really I I don't know where I was at the time but I actually had a chance to sit and watch the entire thing Uh, and it was really good it was very interesting to see some of these names that uh, you know to be honest in today's power tool market don't carry the same sort of respect that they once did and in they're the ones who pioneered the industry um, and there was a time when they were a top quality brand, um, but they're just not anymore. Um, so it's very, oh, I think I remember when you said that
0: cause you brought up the Black and Decker moon rock drill.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. You can actually see that cause Black and
0: Decker's headquarters is here in, in Maryland, And you can see that drill when you go into the place. It's very cool.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, and it goes into the cordless drills and how that started. And you even get a little bit of Tim Allen in there with, I guess, he had a line of tools that were just like rebranded Black and Decker tools. Uh, And it's just very interesting to see how it all came to be. Um, And and just the, I think these days we tend to to go back a little bit more toward the hand tools. And this was like it looks like 80s, early 90s, really, um, when it was really. You know, these power tools are just the way to go if you're going to build something. So, uh, very, very interesting stuff. So, I'll, I'll find that link to put in the show notes momentarily. You know,
2: since we're oh, adding cool. links in, I, I think I have one that I, I definitely have to put in there. I had this on my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And if maybe you guys saw this, the guy taking the giant tree and turning it into a column uh, with the scariest lathe action you probably have ever seen in your life (laughs) every time I watch it and I've watched it a couple times now I clinch like nobody's business Mm. while I'm (laughs) watching it I can never get
1: enough of scary lathe action yes (laughs) yes. so I'm going
2: to make sure to put this one in here I'm trying to get it's available on Facebook so I will grab this the funny thing is I think there was somebody that watched it from my my page and somehow was thinking that it was me Uh. but the guy doesn't have a beard so I don't know where that could possibly be coming from
1: imposter All right, Hmm. let's move on to our poll of the week. Uh, You know our good buddy Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com. Well, he does these polls for us and this week's is asking the question about having enough clamps. Do you have enough or do you still need more? This will be interesting to see. I think everyone thinks for the most part that they need more, so it should be an overwhelming majority. That's my prediction. I don't know that that's going to happen, but that's what I predict.
0: Is there a magical like it depends or sometimes answer? Something else.
1: Something I have else. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me look at what the answers are. Let's see. View results. Uh, he says, okay, so the options are I'm totally I'm totally flush with them. What does that mean? Uh, as in uh, you have a lot of them?
0: I
2: have many.
1: I've yes. never heard that phrase though. I'm flush okay. with them.
2: Well, no. you're flush with knowledge now. <laughs> well, Whatever.
1: I guess, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> you need to get out more. <laughs> I do. I do. I never get out of this office or the shop. Uh, I have a decent collection. I am woefully deficient in that department. Enough clamps, never, or I don't use clamps. <laughs> so I guess that's kind of that's the oddball one. That, that, that's, that's probably the something the one else. That, yeah, that, yeah. That, that that definitely serves as something else. It's uh, right.
2: blue tape and surgical tubing.
1: <clears throat> yep. All right, let's move into kickback. And uh, first kickback here is actually a voice kickback, specifically for Matt from our good buddy Bob. You asked for it, Matt. He's he's coming at you. Oh man, let's do it. This is for Matt Vanderlist. Uh, Mr. Vanderlis, this is Bob DeVries, and I just want to mention that the characterization of those of us that live in that quaint little hamlet to the south of you, it's spot on. Yeah. um, Okay, so I'm tight enough that when I blink, my kneecaps move. That doesn't mean I don't appreciate good stuff when I see it and hear it, and you guys are it. So... Take it as a compliment that you got a Hollander to fork over a couple bucks. Take care, guys. Nice. That was really cool. The funny thing is he actually has a little bit of Matt's speech tendencies too. Like I heard <laughs> I heard a little bit of the, the Michigan upspeak in there too. What Which, do you mean? Do you, I don't know what you're talking what about. Do you mean? Yeah, it was uh, so. That's Bob. He's a, he's a good friend of the show. Nice guy, and uh, very cool to hear that he's uh, he's a tight wad, but is willing to spend a few bucks for a good that show. Says
2: a lot about the show. That should actually be like one of our iTunes reviews.
0: <laughs> yeah, it should so good. <laughs> Even
1: Michiganders spend money. On it. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's move into our kickback. Oh, this is kickback technically. Uh, so the, <laughs> the 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 more real kickback. Uh, this one. Well, basically, this is all in reference to the the last show where we talked about. CNC and automated woodworking and things like that. So I, yeah, I just spent, thought
0: that would have gotten kicked back.
1: Yeah. You know, we were hesitant to even do the show in the first place because we kind of are tired of, of that topic. We kind of feel like, you know, well, we talked about it last time, how we yeah. feel. Uh, but, you know, it's never a shortage of feedback and, and people having good conversation about it. So you may want to go to that post and read some of uh, everybody's thoughts on that. But I picked three specifically one that's kind of sort of, I won't say against. But but kind of putting it into an interesting perspective that I thought was cool, one that's definitely for saying that this is not cheating, this is good stuff, and then one that's like, who gives a crap? So we'll go through <laughs> these real quick because uh, right. that kind of covers the, the gamut of responses you're going to read about this stuff, right? Uh, we we'll just say
0: something else at the end. Yeah,
1: could. right. First one is from Charles Wood, and I really trimmed this down a little bit, Charles, so forgive me. I didn't mean to butcher your words, but I needed to trim it down. Uh, he says, looks to me like CNC is or is moving closer and closer to being an automated woodworker. An automated woodworker as a tool is not comparable to a chisel, a router, or a table saw because these things aren't automated. They require an operator to accomplish an operation. Once the CNC is turned on, it operates itself. True, a table saw runs on its own power, but a woodworker performs the operation, ripping, cross-cutting, etc. With CNC, the task is performed entirely by the machine. Drafting and programming tell the machine what to do. It's analogous to the old-timey self-playing pianos. Once the music role is created, the piano can play itself. As you stand at the CNC machine and drink coffee and stare out the window, you are simply observing automation. It is woodworking, but by my... But... By definition, you aren't the one doing it. You may have many skills that uh, told the machine what to do, but that doesn't mean that you did the actual work. I like it all. I like what an automated machine can produce. I like what Mary May can produce with her carvings. Mary May can honestly say, I made this. With CNC, to be honest, one has to say, an automated woodworking machine made it. To To not say so would be cheating, where cheating would be to pass off someone or something else's Someone or something else's work as your own. So I thought it was interesting. I think he's, you know, he's definitely more on one side of the argument, but I think it's a very, it's a fair way to look at it um, as an automated woodworker as opposed to, you know, a, just a tool being used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like,
2: mean, I was letting the machine do all the work while I was working on my bike. You were just letting it run off course. And <laughs> exactly. Like, no, 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 <laughs> <and> burn out. <laughs> oh, man. It's like when an apprentice decides to just keep going in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah, exactly. Cool. Shannon, you got cool. the next one.
0: Dean wrote in and said, "I think CNC and 3D printing allows for a lot more creativity as it removes the tedious process of batching things out, or the more the or the too difficult to make by hand parts. As someone who owns a 3D printer, I'm far more satisfied by something that I designed and printed as opposed to something that I had made by hand following someone else's plans. I'm more interested if something was custom made rather than if it was handmade." Interesting.
1: Hmm.
2: That's a a, unique distinction. Is that idea of custom made versus handmade?
0: I I think there was a couple people that said that too, and that's a. I like that distinction because it's well, because it's it's I think more specific because handmade Mm. has become so generic now. Well,
1: we had trouble defining exactly what that was, Um, but yeah, you're right. Custom made versus handmade, and it then custom made says nothing about the tooling that was used, which is kind of you know the way things probably need to be right now. Um, Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah, because custom-made really is – I mean that's a a wide definition there and you could easily just – that. yeah, a bunch of stuff falls in there. Anyways, let's go on to Brian's kickback, which is titled Kickback About Dirty Filthy Cheaters. That's how I heard it in my head. I don't know about you guys. Yep. Anyway, so Brian went on to say, Mark, Matt, and Shannon, this is my opinion on whether or not using a CNC is cheating. Why should I care? Why should I care? He put a bunch of, like, exclamation <laughs> points behind it. Maybe I'll worry about how other people perform their hobbies when I completely exhaust the world supply of other things to worry about. Maybe. In other words of the late – in the words of the late great Red Fox, do what you love. Don't mess with other folks. Brian says, P.S., I just talked to my grandma, and she says the knitters, they don't have this problem.
1: Hmm. <laughs> Maybe her circle of
2: knitters don't have this problem. But That's what I'm thinking, because I know there's some yeah. machines out there that probably do it, because <laughs> all those
1: Afghan blankets don't get made by themselves. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, those are the gorilla knitters. <laughs> right. All right, let's move into our email. First one here is from David. He says, my question is about milling rough stock. I never buy S4S, so I find myself uh, during the milling process wondering exactly how much stock to remove. Example, if I buy four-quarter lumber but it's rough sawn, I always try to remove as little as possible to get a flat, square, and true surface, but this can sometimes leave me with an odd thickness, such as seven-eighths when I'm done. Obviously, I can work with that, but I wanted to know if you guys typically bring four-quarter or other dimensional lumber, rough sawn, lumber down to a more uniform thickness, such as three-quarters of an inch to use for your jigs, dado stacks, router bits, etc. I hate to waste and remove a quarter inch of stock if it's not necessary. I tend to think that the thicker the stock, the more stability you gain. Uh, I'm right there with David. I really try to keep my stock as thick as possible. As long as I get it to be straight, square, and it's going to fit into my project, I like to keep the thickness where wherever I can get it to. And sometimes it's below three quarters if I happen to have particularly unruly stock. But if I can stay thicker, why not? Uh, the thing is you do have to be careful because if you're following a plan, you might, you know, overshoot something. The thickness of the material typically is accounted for in the measurements. So if you have thicker than three quarters of an inch, you may wind up uh, being bit in the butt somewhere down the line if you didn't think ahead. So if you do it, just do it, you know, sort of with the caveat, knowing that 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 figure is going to come out somewhere else in the project, and you need to be aware of that. But if I'm, you know, if it's my own stuff, something I built myself, for instance, the hamper that I'm doing right now, everything is over three quarters of an inch. Uh, Why? Because I could and why not? Mm -hmm. Um, It did bite me in the butt only once though and it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm using the Rockler torsion hinges for the lid on this piece and the way they work, you got to have a three quarter inch piece for it to fit into the the area between like the knuckle and the right angle of the hinge. It's not a mortise hinge so it just has to kind of drop right on it wouldn't go on the rail. I was like, what the heck is going on here? I was like, oh, oh, I forgot. (laughs) No, it's not three quarters of an inch. Uh, The same thing came into play when I was centering a quarter inch mortise. I had to be careful exactly how I centered it because if I would just measure in a quarter inch from each side, what would be left in the middle, at least in my pencil marks, would have been bigger than a quarter inch. You know, so it's one of those things where if you get into the habit of doing it, and you change your work methods and your measuring methods to account for the fact that that you have to make the thickness almost irrelevant because it might be anything. If you get your work methods in that sort of line of thinking, you'll be far better off. But if you're new to this and you're just starting to make your stuff a little bit thicker, you'll have to you'll find those little places where you go, "Whoops, didn't didn't actually think about it for that." Um, but it's definitely possible, and I. I don't know about you guys, but I'd rather work with stuff that's thicker than three quarters. It doesn't really throw the proportions off very much unless it's like a super fine critical thing. Uh, right. But most of the time, who's going to tell the difference between seven eighths and three quarters? It actually right. tends to look better when
2: it's well, I, I imagine Shannon for yourself, especially if you're dressing most of the, your stock with uh, hand tools, you just want to get it flat. Also, like what Mark was describing yeah. there, yeah. the you know, maximum I there. thickness I can get out of the board because I don't want to work any more than I have to. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I do the same exact thing. I think the majority, like the first uh, dimension that I'm going to at, at the absolute minimum is I'm trying to hit like seven eighths of an inch because a lot of the stock I've been working with seems to work out really well there. If I have to go below it, I'm like, all right, we'll go thirteen sixteenths. Okay, okay, we're heading towards three quarter. You know. How sometimes we buy a little extra wood Uh, ideally you would do that I always seem to buy just enough even though I tell people I buy a little more it always seems like somehow I have just enough for what I'm working on Mm -hmm. and that's when I always have that one board that I have to take it like down to three quarters I'm like man 98% of this project, I could have stopped at seven-eighths, but for some reason, this stupid board made me go down to three-quarters, stupid board. Yeah, that's
1: exactly what I was going to say. Sometimes you you plan for it, and you go, oh, this is working out great. Everything is nice and thick, and then you find that one board that's just a little bit more warped than the rest, and you got to give it that one or two more passes at the jointer and then another another extra pass at the planer, and you go, well, crap. Now the whole thing has to come down to three-quarters, or you just go get another piece of stock and and try to go thicker. (laughs) Well, you know this it, also. I ma- think
0: that's one of the biggest things that I noticed in working all with hand tools is that it just doesn't. First of all, the measurement thing is kind of irrelevant. But <clears throat> when you get that one wonky board, yeah, I just don't even bother to dimension everything else unless I'm, of course, gluing it into a specific panel. But even then, I glue it up and thickness the whole thing at once. You know, um, you just kind of don't even think about that. And in, in reference to our earlier conversation about custom made versus handmade i think all the different thicknesses is one way to make your piece look really unique too <laughs> there you go <laughs> but, that could be taken in a bad way but also <laughs> think about like the different shadow lines and stuff you get from using uh, a thicker apron and maybe different you, you saw it a lot in uh, arts and crafts furniture where you'd get these different steps down through different thicknesses of 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 um material and it looks really cool Oh, there's so many
1: times where if I could just have a full one-inch board and then do some 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 effect, like exactly what you're talking about, to be able to step down to three-quarters of an inch. Yeah, but right. start with that one inch. Like, uh, the, I was looking at the Morris chair that I have in, in the other room that we built in the Guild, and some of that stock, I think we can't remember if it was five-quarter. A lot of it was five-quarter, but all the rails on the, the various parts just look so much nicer at that full-inch thickness uh, rather than go into a stock three-quarters.
0: I actually find three quarters looks really skinny now. It does. does. I don't think I dimensioned to three quarters very much at all. It's either a half inch or somewhere in the seven eighths realm. You know, it's like for a drawer bottom, it's a half inch or something. Um, Just the other day, I I ran it through my thickness planer. I was making something and I, for some reason, decided it needs to be three quarters of an inch. And I thought I had missed it. I was like, oh (sighs) man, I overshot it. And I measured it. I was like, sure enough, it was actually like a 16th heavy and it (laughs) looks so skinny. At that thickness. Why
1: don't we just get rid of it? I say down with three quarters of an inch. Yeah, so. let's get rid of No more three quarter. Yeah, that's our new battle cry. Like, no more three quarter. <laughs> yeah. Well, you
2: know, the other thing I always think about it is, as we were, we're describing, you know, what using this material, having it a little bit thicker. This is also another reason why uh, I, I'm not going to speak for the rest of you, but I think it's true, is this is one reason why we don't stick to the plans or the, the dimensions, the suggested dimensions within a plan yeah. because a lot of times uh, whenever I have, it talks about using three-quarter inch material or using very specific thicknesses of material. And if you go by that when in fact what we're doing, when you're trying to get down to that, you know, the absolute minimum that you would need, that could really throw you off big time.
1: Yeah, you got to bring that awareness to the party and just to know that okay this is thicker where is this going to downstream impact other things
2: absolutely cool sweet all right, well, let's move on to this next email, and this came in from Paul, and Paul says, I have a question about attaching hardwood strips to cover the plies in Baltic birch wood plywood. I'm building a small box shelf using 3 8 inch Baltic birch, which way too thin as I'm finding out after the fact, and wanted to know what you guys have found to be the best technique. I used a pin nailer on all the pieces, and some I added glue as well. The troubles I'm running into are that the pieces are sliding around on the glue as I try to line them up to get nailed into place, and then having to use wood filler to to cover the nail divots. Should I only use glue? Is painter tape good enough to hold them in place? I plan on staining the piece, and the wood strips are only to cover the end grain, not to add strength to the shelf. So, as soon as I read that part about the the wood strips are only to cover the end grain and not to add strength to the shelf. Immediately my thought is these are of course going to be uh, thin strips of wood more than likely and whenever I run into a situation like this where I just want to add that decorative piece um, I pretty much just count only on the glue and then probably some painters tape to help hold it in place or some 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 uh, uh, clamps of some sort, uh, anything that just gets it in there. Sure it's going to move around a little bit but that's, that's all I really need. I avoid using the pin nailer. In fact, I'm not even sure where I put my pin nailer. I know I have one. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure where it is at the moment, so that's kind of why I don't use it. But that's all I really need is the glue and the painter's tape. Now, the other thing I will do is I will not make those wood strips... The same exact thickness as the plywood, I will actually leave them just slightly oversized. And by slightly, I mean literally a hair or more oversized than what I actually need. So then that way, it gives me a little bit more play in how I'm placing those on there. And then when I get them all taped in position, once the glue dries, I can come back in uh, either with a hand plane or Probably a little bit safer, I come back in with uh, my sander, and you can easily bring those edges down so that they're flush with the surface of the shelf, and nobody's the wiser, and they look pretty darn good.
1: Hmm. Very nice.
0: I like it. Cool. Okay, this last email comes from Josh. He says, I'm a new listener to your podcast, and I'm already hooked. That's good. That's good. You're welcome. That was it. That's all we did. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Um, My question is, how would you calculate the load capacity for a piece of furniture? I'm in the design stage for an oak aquarium stand, which will need to hold about 1,500 pounds. Do you think I'll need to incorporate special design features to hold that much weight, or am I underestimating the strength of wood? Uh, First things first, I think most of the time people underestimate the strength of wood um, Mm because – this one, I actually, I understand his concern. 1,500 pounds is a lot of weight, but I get this question a lot, and it's like, I need to like, put my feet up on it.
1: It's like, okay, hmm.
0: I think you're okay. How big are
1: your feet, sir? <laughs> um, right.
0: There are, there, depending on how much of an engineer you are or how good you are at the maths, there, there are ways to do this. Um, and what I would recommend is Google, like, take oak, Say, Google oak design values, and you'll find a lot of engineering terms. You'll find a lot of calculations, but you also find a lot of um, uh, technical stats on like pounds per square inch type stuff. And what you need to look at are a couple of different things the stiffness, uh, also called the modulus of elasticity. Uh, M-O-E, you'll find it for abbreviated that way. Um, the bending strength or modulus of rupture, M-O-R, those two numbers, and then max compression strength, which refers to, well, first of all, stiffness, how stiff is it? Like how much of a span can you, um, how long can you span the board between, say, two legs, and how much will it deflect? Um, bending strength is, is you know, is it going to, how much deflection Before it actually snaps and then compression refers to the strength along the grain. So if you've got a table leg push straight down on the end grain of that table leg that amount of force to snap those things. Now there's a lot of other stuff that comes into play here. You're talking about racking forces and things. Fortunately, you're dealing with a somewhat static weight. You know, certainly the water can slosh a little, but a 1500 pound aquarium, no one's gonna be moving that thing around. So you you are somewhat fortunate that you've got a somewhat static force here. But my biggest thing, I mean, you could dive down that rabbit hole of all those different numbers and things, but I think if you take a cue from like architecture, specifically timber framing, and look at designing your piece, imagining you were timber framing it. And look at some of that joiner and look at how they use 45-degree braces and things like that to prevent racking. Look at how they make much longer tenons and thicker legs and things like that. And just look at, like, rafters and trusses that hold up roofs that weigh more than 1,500 pounds and scale it down a little bit. Now, that may be a very, very specific design kind of aesthetic and maybe you don't want it to look like a timber frame thing. So then what you do is figure out ways to cover that up and make it look more like the design. Say if you want a frame and panel, um, frame and panel looking credenza or whatever, you build those trusses and those support structure kind of inside the frame and panel and you cover it up. I just think that you could get very, very technical And figure out all those design values. But you're building an oak, which is a very robust species to begin with. And if you start looking at some of those numbers, they're measured in the tens of thousands per pounds per square inch, like really high numbers. Where you run into issues is the minute that weight shifts from straight down to the floor and, you know, kind of off at an angle. And then you're dealing with shearing forces and stuff like that. Again, Google oak design values and you will find all the stuff to engineer you know, a bridge that cars drive over um, and you could do all those calculations. But instead, look at a bridge and mimic how those, um, those members come together and how they're attached to one another. Pick up a book at the library on timber framing and you'll find just about everything you need and then scale it back.
1: I've got a, a very, it's similar, um, but a different suggestion for him. Uh, but it does involve observing something. And this is something I've done in the past too. Uh, go to PetSmart and go look at an aquarium stand.
0: That's a good point. Bro. Go
1: go look at something that was designed by a manufacturer to support 75 125 gallons of water, whatever it is. You will be absolutely amazed when you poke your head inside that cabinet. Not a fiberboard in there. <clears throat> well, that and also how limited the actual structure is. Uh, the wood is so strong especially when it's positioned vertically like that and a lot of times on the insides that's all it is you've got some uh, solid material on the sides you've got a little, a couple braces in the back because you have to have access uh, points in the back and there's doors on the front so it's actually extremely limited what they have so go look at what they did and do it better. Yeah so instead of looking at something like a bridge or rafters these more complicated designs look at what these folks have done and say you know what I could use better joinery I could do more reinforcement than that I could change this here change that there it's it's just mind boggling that that actually is something that a manufacturer puts out there to support that much weight it's a very but- little structure
0: But with my method, you could then upscale your aquarium and put a shark in it.
1: That's true. (laughs) And then you could actually put the aquarium on top of a house and have the house on top of the stand.
0: Right. Or, you know,
1: (laughs) who doesn't want an orca in their living room? (laughs) That's true. Oh, so you've seen me
2: when I'm in my bathing suit, (laughs) is what you're saying? You know, the two things I always think is, of course, you could watch Tanked on Animal Planet and just do whatever they're doing because they make some crazy, insane ones. I don't know how much they use wood. Uh, But the other thing is, I don't know about you guys, but I was starting to have a flashback to the episode where Shannon attempted to answer the question about making a bow with that modulus restraintist, modulus <laughs> rupturist. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a technical side to all of this stuff, but I'm just um, trying to teach Matt. Just I know you, you are, but I suddenly like my, my, my body started shaking. I'm like, Oh no, Oh no, Oh no, not again. There's another wrong now, with making us more. Know where Josh
0: is, if he lives in California, then all bets are off, man. Cause, <laughs> You know, you get a good, good little trimmer underneath that aquarium and get that water moving, get that cool standing wave phenomenon, and you're screwed. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just drive a couple drywall
1: screws into the wall. You'll be fine. I suggest go.
2: go out and get a log, drag it in and set it on top of that. You're all set.
1: <laughs> uh, here's another thing you can do um, just do a Google search for aquarium stands and look scroll through you'll get through the commercial stuff and look at what some other people have done and there's actually some really good because a lot of times you're trying to wrap your brain around what is the internal structure of this thing and then I could skin it somehow to make it look like a nice piece of cabinetry there's a lot of good ideas here just using standard you know home store lumber as the, the primary framework and then you just put a really beautiful skin on the outside um, and you could definitely be confident this thing isn't going anywhere Alright, so if you want to support the show, you can do that. Just uh, head to woodtalkshow.com. Look over in the right-hand column and there's uh, some recurring donation links and one-time donation links there. We appreciate your support when you do that. Uh, you can also get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt at www.twwstore.com and don't forget about the giveaway at woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway. And if you want to, head to iTunes and leave us a review. Just look us up in the iTunes store. Click on ratings and reviews and give us a sweet, sweet five-star rating just like Brisserick and Lance 023 did and uh, here's what Lance had to say never disappointed Mark Matt and Shannon never disappoint I look forward to the twice weekly podcast and can't wait to listen when they hit my phone they give a great uh, great advice and the banter between the three has got to be the best I've heard Mark I'm sorry my wife won't give me the recipe to vinegar pie what how dare she well, it's like in the third case- person
0: we've heard that it's like a secret recipe there's something <laughs> I don't know.
1: So it's not just vinegar and flour. Apparently not, because <clears throat> that well, sounds delicious. Start with that, and then <laughs> just going to work from there. <laughs> yeah, it can only go <laughs> and up from add there. Love <laughs> a little bit of love. <laughs> All right, man. How about you give them the contact info, and we'll get out of here. Alright, hey folks, you know what? If
2: you ended up watching the Not Safe for Any Place or Anybody video that we referenced at the beginning of the show, and you want to file a complaint with our boss, Sorry. well, you can't because we're actually self-employed in a variety of ways. In fact, you can find out how by checking out episode 257 from July 10. Yep. But still, if you feel like you need to say something, there's several different ways that you can leave a comment, question, or topic suggestion. You can do that by leaving us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page and if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com awesome well thanks for listening everybody and we'll catch you next time seriously Bye. do not watch that video around anybody that should not be
0: seeing stuff like that I would just don't watch it yeah, if you have a heart condition it. definitely don't do it just
1: forget about it don't watch it yeah, in fact I'm
0: going to gonna insert a link to like a My Little Pony video instead. <laughs> that would that, be much better
2: My little brony, my little brony.
1: And with that, we're gonna not do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye.
2: (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,